here we are. This is Sex Love Psychedelics, and I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Bringing you psychosexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more. Hey lovers, psychedelics have a powerful way of helping us to access the depths of ourselves that might otherwise take years to touch on. And I am a firm believer that they need to be approached with a lot of reverence and care, especially because they can access the depths of our mind that might be compartmentalized for a reason and for our protection. Trauma is a prevalent issue in our society. So what happens when someone takes psychedelics and they experience painful memories or an overload of emotion and thoughts that they aren't equipped to handle with by themselves? These are the things that I ponder, and this is why I've been pumping out as much help and resources for you as I possibly can in the time that I have. Today, I have the honor of interviewing a dear friend and epic leader in the psychedelics movement, Lauren Taus, and we get into some deep conversations about trauma, how psychedelics can help the effect of our brain and our body, and which ones do we see as having a greater effect in working with trauma, what resources can help support someone going through the healing process. This is a really juicy conversation. And before we get to Lauren and that conversation, you here on my podcast and on Instagram at Sex Love Yoga, all about sex and psychedelics. I am a big believer in their interweaving. And like I said before, I believe that it needs to be approached with reverence, care, and education. There are lots of people out there who are saying have sex on psychedelics, and that's cool. But if you have proper education, sexy rituals, and inner work guidance from an expert like moi, then you can transform your experience from just a good time into something that's really potent and powerful and intentional and life-changing for your life and for your love. I want you to have sex that leaves you feeling so deeply satisfied and so heart-filled. And in just a couple of weeks, I will be opening enrollment for my four-week course for Sex Love Psychedelics called Ritual. Each class is live as I guide you into a potent space of exploration and discovery. I will show you how you can transform sex from being something on your to-do list to being an experience for expansion, both in your sex and in yourself. We get into pleasure mechanics around sex, how you can incorporate more playfulness in the bedroom, harm reduction practices for psychedelics, sex rituals, and sensual journeys in sex. So... If you've been feeling that your sex life could be so much more, baby, I agree. And I want you to share in this with me. So I'm going to include the link in the show notes. Be sure to check that out and let me know if you have any questions. Now to one of my dear friends, an epic leader in the psychedelic movement, Lauren Taus. Now, Lauren Taus is a psychedelics-assisted therapist, educator, and advocate. She's also the founder of Inbodied Life. That is Inbodied. Get in your body. Everything happens in the body. So you know it, right? I got that right. <laughs> I just made Lauren's new tagline for her company. <laughs> it's that. Thank you. <laughs> It's my pleasure. I'm so happy that you're here to dive into the such important conversations. 
Thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure to spend time with you, Kat. Every time. I feel like when we get together, it's just a burst of giggles and like really like dope wisdom bombs and just like, yes. where's where somebody recording us? Like where, where are they right now? <laughs> oh, well, I'm excited to jump in there today and hopefully, hopefully it's helpful to your listeners and your community. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. So Lauren and I've known each other for, through other lifetimes <laughs> from the yoga world where we were both, um, uh, practitioners and uh, teaching yoga, um, and then getting to know her more and, and getting to study with her, uh, specifically through ketamine assisted therapy. Uh, there's just so many, we have so many, um, passions that overlap here. And one of those that I really wanted to touch on today is the concept of trauma and how trauma shows up not only as an individual uh, expression, uh, but anymore we're having these conversations on how trauma is very systemic or how it uh, even occurs intergenerationally. So to start there, when we're talking about trauma, like what are we, what do we mean when we use that word? I think the human experience is traumatizing in many ways, you know, just to leave the oneness and, and to operate as separate entities in a world that's full of pleasure and pain is, is challenging. And when we're, we're looking at trauma from a, a clinical lens, it's, it's an, uh, something that happens and, and then it's what happens inside of the person as a result of the happening. So trauma isn't like, the rape or the being mm -hmm. robbed or the being, you know, abused as a child. It's like, what does that then create inside of a person's body in their nervous system that they walk with? And how does that hijack their ability to be present, right? Because we're reading past on now and reading past on future and, and really struggling to be in this here now moment. So, so trauma is many things, but I think from a clinical perspective, it's just really important to, to just start with, it isn't the thing that happened. It's what happens inside of a person after the happening. And I think that's really important to highlight because so many of us have had, you know, we can look at our events and say, yeah, this person had the same thing happen to them. So why does it show up differently in each individual? I think part of that too is the, what were the resources or the responses that were available to us in that present moment time? You know, yeah, like you said, we're walking on this earth and shit happens. Right? <laughs> but then if we turn to our parent and they comfort us and soothe us, then it doesn't have to get stuck in a way. Mm -hmm. And, and so often traumatic experience is exacerbated by lack of, of a loving response, mm -hmm. right? So if somebody has an experience that's, that's challenging or painful or harmful, and then they share about it and then their sharing isn't met or they're asked to be silent or they're uh, told that they're lying, right? Like that then creates more dysregulation in the body mm -hmm. and in the psyche. Yeah, I have so often worked with people whose uh, reveal of their traumatic experience has in some ways been more traumatizing than the thing itself. Ooh, tell us more. I mean, if you think uh, I, in, in an effort to kind of protect uh, stories, but I, I've seen this a few times where say there's, there's sexual abuse mm -hmm. and, yeah. and then someone comes out forward and tells maybe a parent or, or a relative, and then their 
told to not share that again. Yeah. They're, they're, they're told that wasn't true. They're told like, you're making that up and, and, or not, they don't do anything about it. And the inaction, right. Creates. Mm-hmm. Harm. So, so I, I've, I've seen that quite a bit. And, um, the good news about trauma is that because it lives in the body, it can be shifted and lifted. And, and with psychedelic assisted therapies, you know, some of the same language is literally used. You know, when someone has a traumatic experience, sometimes they say, I was not the same person again after that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's often like the exact same language that can present when somebody has a positive healing psychedelic experience in a supported way. So I'm not the same person anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So we can change in either direction um, quickly. Yeah. How do you see that psychedelics can help support us regarding trauma in that way? You said in the body. I think a lot of people think of psychedelics, they think of in the mind, mm. you know, we're, we're going through, we're thinking, we're, we're playing out stories in our minds. So how does that relate with the body? So there are, of course, many different psychoactive substances that will meet an individual body, spirit, mind, psyche in different ways and different ways every time, right? But there are certain compounds or plants that really land a person directly in their physical experience in a way that people are are generally not. My practice, as you said earlier, is embodied life. And I myself like had to take quite a Herculean journey to return to, to, to my own vessel and, and to get cozy and to, and to be back, uh, as a, as a healthy, uh, inhabitant of this motherland, my body. Right. And so, you know, MDMA, for example, is a very body-based experience and it isn't a, you know, as, as prone to, to, to visual experience, although some people have that. And when a person is Working with MDMA, and of course, uh, I'm trained by MAPS and their MDMA-assisted psychotherapy protocol for complex PTSD, which is getting astonishing results, is of course um, received breakthrough designation from the FDA and God willing will be approved as a legal medicine again uh, in the next year or so. But when a person has an MDMA experience, they're able to, in many ways, revisit sites of injury and reconstitute themselves at those places where perhaps if they're not uh, partnering with the the medicine, they might not be able to go there uh, without being dysregulated and being dysregulated by either being overly numb or being hyperactivated or aroused. You know, they don't have the capacity with with good reason to to kind of be there and and to revisit and to re- um, uh, member themselves, right? Like, you know, the, the opposite of remember isn't forgetting it's, it's to dismember and and we cut off parts of ourselves. So, so the, this particular compound really drops you right into your body in a way that feels so delightful and delicious and allows you with good, uh, support to, to do some very corrective work around traumatic material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you even mentioned earlier the concept of, uh, you use the word dysregulation. Mm -hmm. So like bringing in the nervous system as a part of this conversation, how does the psychedelics impact the nervous system? Well, again, psychedelics affect everybody differently every time, you know, there are, um, some people can experience deep levels of calm and others will be very dis 
regulated, will be hyper activated and aroused. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'm not cavalier about this work. Yeah. Don't think this work is for everybody. Right. And there are a lot of factors and variables that I want to ensure are in place before we invite the partner of a psychoactive substance into the equation. Right. Because if you just take a drug or a medicine, like you might have a bigger problem than when you started, yeah. even yeah. if your intentions are to course correct and heal. We can't really predict what happens when we're working with psychoactive medicine. But if it's done in a good way, whatever happens, even if it's difficult, can be immensely generative. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about that. So let's start with what's necessary for this to be effective, right? For me, we heal in relationship. So we heal, of course, in the relationship we have with ourselves. And then as, as a therapist, I'm, I'm efforting to provide a really, really uh, safe, beautiful, loving, caring, responsible practice field for relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the person, my client gets to really flex and, and express and, and be authentic and, and, and unveiled, right? Now, in, in my practice, I also effort to invite primary relationships into my work so mm-hmm. that the, the healing and healing is often disruptive for individuals right? It's going to shift the homeostasis. I want to support the evolution of relationships, not the breakdown of relationships. Now, sometimes healing requires dissolution of certain relationships, but if I can, I want to support the, the, the development of existing relationships. So I try to kind of cue in key players and, and support them in how to validate and regulate their loved one in order to support like deepening and more alignment and more, more care. Mm. I also do a tremendous amount of work with preparation, right? You know, there's so much conversation in the field around integration and we can talk about that. We should. Yeah, we will. Like, you know, preparation sets you up for much ease in integration. If you prepare soil, harvest is easy. So it's, it's, it's not always easy when you're kind of, going, you know, hiking in, in, in the wild unknown. But if you, if you prepare a person, you put in their kind of backpack of proverbial skills, a lot of different tools, they're going to fare better out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also, the last thing I just want to name as, as a, something I'm always present to again is, is do they have support, right? Like does a person have support on the back end of the experience that's bigger than me? And if they don't, it's probably not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's, this is a really important question because it, it expands beyond psychedelics as being the, the answer, right? And we hear a lot of this panacea talk around psychedelics being the answer. And yet it is one tool that needs to have a lot of reverence around it and to recognize there needs to also be a lot of, of padding around that too. So um, I love that you integrate the the relational aspect of here, knowing that we don't like like I immediately think of the concept of shame, like shame hides. Shame doesn't like to be seen. But here you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so here you're saying, okay, let me witness you as your therapist and then let your loved ones witness you and learn how to relate with you. I think that's such a key piece. I think 
it's insane that I have a job at all. I think it's 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 so sad that we live in a culture where people have to pay to be seen and heard and cared about. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. And 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 therapists are busy as you know, right? Yeah. Like we need to like do this without professionals, like our paid professionals. Like why are this is the system that we're living in. And mm-hmm. and you know, at the uh, risk of a digression, you know, we talk about integration so much in psychedelic assisted work. And now integration, of course, is about wholeness. It's about remembering. It's about coming back together because we're living in such a disintegrated way. Yeah. And so the goal isn't psychedelics. In fact, for me, the goal is less drugs. I mean, I'm, I love drugs and we're going to talk more about them. But like the goal is, is authentic relationships and, and connection systemically, culturally, individually in our homes and, and in our communities which, which we're, we're not there. And, and there's a big risk of thinking that like these compounds that produce, that catalyze experiences of, of love and wholeness, like will just change the system. But, but we need a lot more than that. Yeah, we sure do. We need a whole uprooting of our system and changing the way that things are really just teaching people how to relate and how to self-regulate and co-regulate. So I heard uh, that a lot in in your work and it's a lot of the work that I do too around um, even just teaching you how to, yeah, how to connect with your own self to understand, um, you know, relationally here. Um, the concept here too of, of preparation, what specifically does that look like when you're, when you're preparing a person? Mm-hmm. Looks like a lot of different things, but first and foremost, <laughs> it's relationship building. And then it's, you know, giving persons, I mean, certain basic skills, like everything is changing to really anchor in the fact that everything is constantly changing because when there's difficulty, there's can often be resistance. And of course, what we resist persists. Mm-hmm. So if we can remember on some meta level that, that, that the difficulty isn't going to stay forever, it'll be easier to breathe through it. Mm-hmm. I like to remind people to teach them that everything is sacred. So even if it's excruciating, like, can you see the sacred? Can you be in the parake? Like, what is this for? What am I learning here? Mm-hmm. And, and, and can I like stay with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, that's helped me enormously. Um <clears throat> And that the place of power is like here and now, like to breathe. Uh, there's lots of different mantras that can be cultivated, breath work, um, of course, having an intention. And you said intentions and God laughs. But like if you're going to be engaging in the unknown, which is where we always are. But if you're going to really amplify that in partnership with the psychoactive, you know, it's good to know why you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And to have some kind of guardrails around your own uh, process to support deeper flowering in the aftermath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that also gives us a a lens through which we can make sense of what we experience in that psychedelic space too, where you were talking about earlier, we don't know where it's going to go. It might go sideways (laughs) not in the direction that we want to go. We want to have fun. We have to play and see lights. Nope. I'm taking you into the dark, dark realms of your, of your ancestral trauma. (laughs) And that intention can help us to make sense of, okay, this wasn't a quote unquote bad trip. This was an, it just unfolded the way that I did not expect it to, but there's still a lot of gold here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And in fact, clinically, you know, 
I, I like to celebrate the the joy and, and I've seen so many people have breakthroughs around pleasure in, in these kinds of experiences. And, and it's uh, so delightful to watch. You know, I, I like to think of four primary emotions and, and, and the, the language of emotion is everybody's mother tongue. Mm. It's, you know, fear, anger, sadness, and joy. And if you can <clears throat> breathe through them all, then you can actually be happy person. And, and these uh, experiences really allow for the, the armoring to fall off and for more emotion, like energy and motion to kind of move through, to flow through and, mm-hmm. and for more aliveness to, to arrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's, as we've said, it's not predictable. And, you know, I know myself, I've had a lot of experiences that, um, have been intergenerational. You mentioned that like where I haven't been able to really fully differentiate my body from my mother's body where, where I've had a lot of Holocaust visuals where I've had, um, and I've also had a lot of, uh, visuals around racism and, uh, I, I don't know what past lives I've had, but, um, or if I'm just really sensitive to the reality of living in an racist, oppressive system, right? Like we are living in, in a very, very, uh, hierarchical system that we've inherited and it's uh, not our fault, but it is our responsibility to dismantle. And when we have these challenging experiences uh, and when we're working with psychoactives, not for recreation, which I'm not against, but when we're partnering with them for the sake of healing and, and coming back to wholeness, the, 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 the ask is like, how do we move it forward? And that's really how we honor the medicine too, is by letting, letting it have a life beyond the experience and the revelation, right. And the kind of discovery, uncovery, recovery, like, okay, now how do I live this? How do I uh, let this fertilize my experience and the experience of my relationships, my community, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And because so many people who go into psychedelics, whether it's for recreation or because they have a prescription from, you know, a ketamine assisted um, provider (laughs) Um, or however else they, or maybe even it's like a ceremonial setting. You know, we know that psychedelics can help to unlock trauma that may have been blocked by the brain for a specific reason of protection. But for somebody who doesn't realize that they have that trauma and it comes up in a session, that could be pretty scary for somebody. How, what would you suggest uh, somebody or what would be some tips that somebody could be able to hold themselves through that or, or after? Sure. I mean, again, it's back to relationship. So if the person is held in a loving relationship, then that content can be held in a loving relationship and has a a higher likelihood of uh, the experience of safety to be expressed and, and to be held and to be supported right now the mind is brilliant Uh, we we are all unbelievably miraculous and stunning and and we do block content to survive we do dissociate to survive right my my practice is embodied life because we're so disconnected and dissociated from our bodies and skillfully so right we've adapted in order to like manage this culture and and be fluent in it but when we are ready to access more information or when more information just comes and it sometimes just comes with these tools, the person is going to fare better if they have support to like work with that material and, and, and to like 
process that material and to digest that material and, and to, uh, heal that material, right? Like what needs to be experienced, what needs to be expressed, what needs to be moved through. So I don't, I like to say, I I, I don't give anyone medicine. If I don't know who's who in your zoom, where you're looking to go and grow, like I need to know you and I need to know that you feel safe with me right? I get calls. Ooh, I have any, an emergency med- ketamine session. Who are you? No, I don't. Interesting. Do you really get that? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I haven't got I that. Don't, I don't respond to it. Um, <laughs> but you know, it just tells you how desperate people are. Yeah. People are really suffering and they really want a fast fix and they think that there's going to be one. And, you know, the reality is with this kind of work, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. I've absolutely seen a lot of that. And then it can get really a lot better. But these unveilings, the, the, this kind of widening of access to our own experiences uh, is, is um, turbulent mm-hmm. and, um, and, and can really change how a person experiences themselves and their relationships. But if there's love, which is the biggest medicine. And if there's skill around how do we navigate, then the difficult material is coming up so that it could go through and so that a person can be more integrated. Which love, God, that even that word is is a word that is so complex for so many of us, right? I think of love in as in regards to attachment theory, you know, love being us being able to get our needs met and to be able to be safe and to be seen growing up. And for so many of us, some of those were missing experiences for us. And then how we translate love today (laughs) between people or romantic uh, interests or friendships. And so when you're referring to love, how are you defining it in this way? Love is one of these sort of ineffable things and you feel it and, and you know it. And, and for me, I really see people I really see, I see them and I love them. And I, I, I love big and they know that, right? Every single one of my clients knows that I love them. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I know that uh, very clearly, like in my bones. And, and it's easy for me to love people. Yeah. And I mean, I have one client who was in like some pretty suicidal despair after doing some big work some big healing work around a, a traumatic experience. And so this is where there's a backslide moment, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was really worried about this person and, and they were collapsed on my couch, no eye contact, gray skin beneath, like energy beneath their skin. And, and I said, you know, I love you, right? It's a young person. And they, their eyes looked up and they caught mine. And, 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 and she said, yes. And that was a turning point for this person, right? Mm. This person needed to be loved. And, and I, I was, I love this person. Yeah. And in the field, love sort of needs rehab, right? There's a, like a sense that you can't love with good boundaries. Mm-hmm. To me, love is boundaried. It creates, it creates safety. It creates potency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love with good boundaries, but <clears throat> It's it's an it's a kind of energetic communication, and of course, most communication is nonverbal. So it's it's in the eye contact, it's in my in my energy field. And if I don't really love someone, I don't work with them. I don't. Yeah. Like I just no. Yeah. 
can't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, I really don't have a problem loving people. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. I think it's, it's such a taboo topic to talk about in, in th- psychotherapy. Yeah. Uh, I had a client bring to me, uh, the movie Stutz with mm. Jonah Hill and he talks about love and, and, um, this particular client asked me, they were like, I don't know. Is that okay? Is that, is that ethical to be able to tell your client that you love it? And I was like, it's very ethical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. And a lot of traditional psychotherapy in this kind of old school lens has mm-hmm. just so asked for the erasure of the provider. Mm-hmm. So the provider's almost like a, just a wall, like you're talking to a wall. Yeah. 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 It's uh, again, we heal in relationship, like, you know, the, the selective specific self-disclosure for the sake of the client is, is an, a skill to master as, as a provider and, and doing so in order for the client to feel really connected to you and to feel your love for them too. Right. Like they have, they have a sense of like actually who you are as a human being, like you two are human. Uh, mm. It's so nice. Yeah. So when we're thinking about, you know, taking these experiences, whether it's from therapy and experiencing, you know, a love from a therapist or experiencing self-love and psycho and um, psychedelics, like I always come back to thinking about, well, then how do we, how do we translate these reference points, these moments, and then integrate them into our everyday reality? And how do we do this uh, there's a topic that's specific as a total buzzword, but the concept of spiritual bypassing mm-hmm. and how do we, how are we, how do we, what's the difference between that and then doing the work or integrating from a spiritual lens? Big questions, Kat. Let's see how many see where I want to I start got plenty that. of them. <laughs> I like it. Life is, is full of pain and pleasure. And we, we don't want to attach too much to any of it, right? But if we deny that there is pain, we're bypassing. If we deny that there is uh, grief, we are bypassing. If we deny that there is rage and that it's righteous and due, then we are bypassing, right? How we work with the energies is what is a spiritual practice. And, 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 and how well, right? Like, I like to say that we're all in devotion to something and we are, whether that's our procrastination, our self-doubt, our self-hatred, our atheism, whatever, or maybe we're devoted to spirit. Maybe we're devoted to, to hope, which is courageous. Maybe we're devoted to forgiveness. Maybe we're devoted to gratitude. And, and, and we're in the practice of that, right? I, I, I am in a practice of, of, of thank you. Mm. I am in a practice of awe, which maybe is the same thing. Like I'm in practice of love and God and connection with myself and the rest of the world. And there are times when I'm in a lot of pain and there are times when it's really hard. And there are times when I have to look at like my own activation and my own trigger and my own, ugh, and like sit with it and like, let it breathe and let it shake and let it shimmy. And like, you know, and just kind of, communicate right mm-hmm. you know the, the, we have there's the i like to say that peace requires mastery of conflict mm-hmm. right we want peace so you better get real good at confrontation mm-hmm. and that can be done in a kind good way 
but like, how are we going directly to it? Like bypassing, oh, everything's fine. No, it's not all the time fine at all. So how are we engaging with the turbulence? How are we, how are we doing that? Like in, in, a, in a loving, uh, honest, fair way, uh, that's the work. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, in the, these bodies are Russian dolls of our histories and of our cultures. And, and we're carrying, as I mentioned, like conditioning that we didn't maybe co-sign, but we somehow co-signed. And so how do we like shed and shift and, and, and kind of really stand for and speak for something that's more authentic and doing so without throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like we're living in some, somewhat of a post-religious world, but we still need ritual and ceremony. You know, mm. I, I, I am very connected to my Judaism. Mm -hmm. I pray Jewish prayers in the morning. I light Shabbat candles Friday night. Like I, I learn with my rabbi. Like religion has done a lot of harm in the world, a lot. I mean, Judaism has become like somewhat more and more exclusive, but like, you know, a lot of harm has been done to the Jews specifically, but like, I'm not going to hate Jesus for that righteous Jew, radical, like Arab Jew, you know, like I'm, nor am I going to like make myself better than any other. Like, how do we honor our traditions? Because we all come from traditions. And how do, how do we do so in a way that allows for the creativity of like invention and like recreation and reconstitution in ways that may feel more inclusive and accurate to the fullness of who we are as human beings? That's also integration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for, this is a process that I've had to go through for myself too, of like, you know, listening to, to lectures on the concept of, um, uh, cultural appropriation as it relates to, you know, indigenous practices with, with psychedelics and, and how do we, how do we mitigate that as, as a, a as an issue, you know, especially as, as, um, more white culture is introduced to, to these practices. And one woman that I listened to that I, I loved this, her answer, it was by creating an exchange and you can only, you prevent taking when you know what you're bringing. So what in your lineage are the rituals from your family so that you can connect with that? Or if you have still shame around them, or you still have a lot of disgust around it or rejection around it, can you do the healing work around those rituals from your family? And you may have to go for far back in order to discover what those are, but then how are you bringing that into the space with you? So it's not just a taking. And I thought that that, that sat with me so well. And it led me to go through this whole process of reclamation around, you know, my family's history with Catholicism and, and all the shame that I ended up having out of that because the, the dogma didn't allow me to be who I was, but that's this dogma versus just creating a, a loving relationship towards its ultimate messages around love. Another beautiful question, Kat. You know, I was just spent a beautiful weekend with two dear sisters of mine, psychedelic therapists, and it was so rich because it was so reciprocal. Mm. And I think reciprocity is, is is so essential. And and I also very much believe in working within our own cultural context to the extent that we can. Uh, I, I, I 
know that, you know, we have our own kind of Western molecules that I'm trained in, MDMA, ketamine, uh, thank you, LSD, I, I, 3MMC. I, I love, I love these medicines. Um, and, and I'm a big ayahuasca girl. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's dicey, right? Like I, I personally wouldn't sit with peyote, for example, um, given that it's an endangered plant and it's really yeah. meant to be kind of stewarded by indigenous uh, peoples who've been working with this particular spirit for, for eons. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think that the medicine of ayahuasca is needed in the world. I think we, I think we, I think we need this in the world and, you know, the, the ayahuasca tourism that uh, continues has, has not been good for uh, the people, the, the, the jungle in many ways. And then there was foreigners who've been duped by, by faux shamans and have been harmed in that way. And there's been fighting between tribes and uh, all kinds of things that the, the Western colonial impact has had on the sort of desire for the experience. So personally, you know, I, I like to work with that medicine with people who have um, spent like a lot of time in, in, uh, in the jungle in, in a good way, uh, who've kind of made, made their kind of navigation and work in reciprocity with their teachers, right? Like I'm not pouring ayahuasca. It's not my yeah. job. Um, but I know, I know who pours my, my medicine and I know who taught them how to pour their medicine. And I know that they have a very real relationship with that person and that that person, like, I know where they live and kind of, you know, it's like, there's like, mm -hmm. there's a, a, a line and I would go to that. And I, I intend to go to uh, spend time with this particular person in the jungle. Um, but I, I think that the world needs these medicines right now. And, and I, and I don't want to get too caught up in identity politics around this. Uh, I think we need to be cautious and careful and respectful and loving and make sure that we don't cause more harm. And, and that means Yes, we have to be, you know, in reparations, like, and that's in our own country. Like, that's not about um, indigenous tribes in the Amazon. That's about like racism in the United States. That's about like um, people of color in in on drug charges, right? For for probably cannabis and, and crack mm -hmm, cocaine, yeah. and, and and that's a whole different kind of thing than this que this question that I'm, I'm I'm really passionate about. Yeah, and I don't feel. Like I can do anything in the drug space without talking about that a lot, mm -hmm. about the systemic oppression, about our obligation to be willing to have messy conversations as white people towards the liberation of all of us and specifically communities of color in this country. Sure. And, and it comes back to the very first question that we used to open this up with the concept of trauma, you know, trauma exists systemically as much as it does within one person. There's not just the micro, there's the macro. And what is perpetuating the trauma is when these aren't being witnessed and seen. So these conversations are really important for us to be able to yeah, witness and hold space for that just as much as we are taking into mindful consideration of how we're contributing or not, or changing. And the willingness to make a mess, right? Mm -hmm. To make a mess, right? I don't know. I don't have all the answers, but like mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm willing to, to speak at what I, and what I see and I'm willing to learn mm -hmm. and I'm willing to be a good partner and an ally, like, because that's the only thing that really makes any sense to do. And mm -hmm. because like 
you know, Bell Hook said the first crime of patriarchy is against men. I believe that, right? The people who are seemingly winning in a system of oppression are, are not winning at all. Yeah. And so, so this collective liberation that requires, yes, attention to specific communities that have been like, you know, systematically uh, oppressed requires our attention and work uh, and reparations and, 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 like, as, you know, we, we, we get to be just together more. Together more. And so focusing on this, this, you know, wider experience of how can we come back into community? How can we create that connection again? How can we um, learn how to support one another rather than just isolating and trying to manage our own symptoms? <laughs> and, and, and literally manage our own symptoms, right? Like one-on-one therapy in many ways just replicates cultural problems of separation and isolation. Mm. And, and, and I'm aware of that and I'm, I'm tired by it. So I, I, I'm more interested in doing group work. And of course, we mm-hmm. all need individual attention and deserve it. And so, of course, that's still a good chunk of what I do day to day. And like I said at the beginning, too, I try to involve other key players in the lives of the people that are uh, in my practice, because I want to take myself out of a job with people as quickly as I can. I want mm-hmm. people to get what they need, which means the skills to communicate, the skills to feel, the skills to be in their body so that they can like do that in their relationships so that they can like ride the tides inside as like good cosmic surfers and they don't need to pay for help, right? Because they already like then have the skillfulness. Yeah. They, have, like, they have the toolkit and, and life is psychedelic, right? Like psychedelics are incredible. I love them, but life is one big trip and we are constantly interfacing with new information that like is sometimes hard to digest sometimes like really, really painful or scary or delightful, but even that is challenging at times. And, and, and how can we learn these sort of, or relearn, relearn, relearn. We need to relearn these basic skills that are actually native to us. And then like, like play better on the playground together. Yes. Let's, let's create a better playground for us all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was such a powerful and really insightful conversation that hopefully it inspires so much um, more compassion in our world and as well as inspiration to to look beyond self and and be looking around for for the connection. So how can people find out more about you and about I know you've got a retreat coming up. You've got several millions of amazing offerings coming up. <laughs> Thanks, Kat. So fun. You can find me on my website, inbodiedlife.com. I-N, it's in, it's indigo in, go into your body, inbodiedlife.com and on Instagram, lauren.taus, T-A-U-S. I do have a jungle retreat, May 28th to June 2nd, typically for the dates. And um, your trainings and offerings and, and lots of education always. And here still learning. So, so thanks for uh, learning with me and thanks for having me, Kat. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, that was fun. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation, head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, 
This podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed. And one final note here, I make this show specifically for you. If you're loving the show, then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know. Happy to be here and happy to serve. I'll see you next time on Sex Love Psychedelics.